Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window Podcast. On the agenda today, we'll look at the position of PSG manager Unai Emery and ask whether his narrative of coaching the new FC Hollywood might be coming to a grisly finale. Spurs showed their star quality in defeating the Galacticos of Real Madrid, but can they hold on to their marquee talent? Napoli and Man City showcased footballing La Dolce Vita in the Stadio San Paolo last night, but are Pep Guardiola's men really now the godfathers of European football? And as we look ahead to Sunday's Premier League blockbuster between Chelsea and Manchester United, we assess the role of Jose Mourinho's assistant, Ray Farah, and his importance to the club. I'm Johnny McFarlane, and joining me today are transfer window regulars Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. Gentlemen, there's been rumours of discontent, PSG becoming the new FC Hollywood. We've discussed it already on the podcast. Unai Emery seems to be a man under a little pressure. What's the position of the manager at the moment? Well, Johnny, it's 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 fairly simple and straightforward. Um, I think from uh, anyone looking into FC Hollywood, as you rightly call it, and that is that uh, the owners of that club have um, spent hugely uh, record sums, in fact, uh, in in the terms of transfer um, payments, etc., and they find themselves with, you know, a, a Rolls Royce team and a, you know, let's say Ford Mondeo manager, um, and that's slightly, you know, all pushing it in terms because you know Emery obviously did a very good job at Sevilla, uh, which got him the job um, at PSG. But when he got the job at PSG, they weren't buying Neymar from Barcelona um, and Kylian Mbappe from Monaco for, for hundreds of millions of pounds. So. Uh, the owners are now thinking, well, what's the point in spending so much money uh, assembling this uh, superstar team if we haven't got the right guy to handle the players who are in that team? And obviously, um, the most obvious uh, situation which suggests that Emery is not equipped to cope with those egos, with those um, star players, uh, was the spat between Cavani and Neymar regarding taking penalty um, about a month ago. Um We've seen uh, fairly, um, let's just say, varying results in Ligue 1 since. Uh, they performed very well in Champions League um, in a difficult group, um, obviously, because Celtic are so good. Um, but apart from that, um, they, they obviously want uh, a, a head coach there who can win the Champions League because the French, winning the French League is, isn't good enough um, in terms to justify the spending. No, to that end, they have dropped a shortlist. And let's just say more of a wish list than a short list because um, you're looking at two, at least two of the Premier League's top managers currently uh, on that list. One being Jose Mourinho at uh, Manchester United and the other one being Mauricio Pochettino at Tottenham. Um, there is no doubt that with PSG's resources that they could easily um, recruit 
either of those coaches and pay them more money than they currently earn at United and Tottenham. Um, it's just whether or not the project, um, which of course is something we hear more and more about now in football, whether the project itself um, is enough of a challenge for uh, Mourinho or Pochettino, um, given the jobs they currently hold and the ambitions of their clubs currently. So uh, what we know for sure is that um, PSG are on the lookout for a new coach. They are highly likely to recruit a new coach um, by the very latest for next season, therefore sacking Emery in the summer and replacing him, um, if not before. And um, I think we can all um, look forward to some uh, excitement and speculation with regard to who that coach will be. Um, Duncan, you know the, the ins and outs of PSG better than I do. Um, would you say that, that uh, Mourinho and Pochettino were top of that list or do you think there's, there's other people involved? Yeah, well, first of all, um, it's, it's not rumours that, that Dunai Emery is in, in trouble at PSG. Um, he's struggling to deal with that dressing room, uh, the egos of the players involved, the, the dimension of the players involved, and the, and the players do not respect his management. And, and that's been, you know, we've seen examples of that with the the fight over who takes penalties um, between Edson Cavani and, and Neymar, which is, I think we discussed in the podcast before, which is something that should really be simply sorted out by a manager. It shouldn't be happening on the field. You just make a decision before before the match. You say, this one is taking the penalties. Um, deal with it. Get on with it. You don't fight on the on the, on the pitch over, over penalty kicks. Um, Emery has only really survived by default. Um, he only really got the, the the position in the first place by default. So so last summer, uh, PSG came close to sacking and replacing him. When he was appointed, he was very much second choice. Um, they they got extremely close to hiring Jose Mourinho when he was out of work um, after being dismissed by Chelsea. Um, as a you know a, a friend of Mourinho's told me um, subsequently that he had one and a half foot through the door at PSG at that point. Um, and the, the reason the deal didn't go through was essentially down to French tax laws. Um, the, the high amount, the high cost to PSG um, of paying Mourinho's net salary, which they couldn't come um, to a resolution for, before the point at which Manchester United made their decision that we know took months and months to, to take and, and offer Mourinho the job at Manchester United, which was his preference. Now, um, in terms of where they go from here, um, I think you're absolutely right. They want to win a ch the Champions League and they want to appoint a top manager to do that. Um, and from my perspective, the only way Emery survives into a second season is if he does so well in the Champions League that and that the team rally around him to the point where the owners say, OK, this, this guy is worth continuing continuing with and we will carry on with them into another season and you're probably talking reaching at least the, the final to to um for that outcome to happen um there is no question that psg still want jose Mourinho as coach they have been propositioning him um they have a, a new sports director who knows Mourinho very well who worked with him for years at fc porto um, Antero Enrique, and he was um, pivotal in bringing guys like Neymar and Dani Alves to the club. Um, 
he's, he's a far more astute operator on the transfer market and the negotiating scene than anyone PSG have had before. And he is the intermediary um, proposing to Mourinho and the people around him that if things were not to work out as you would like at Manchester United, there is a job available for you in Paris. So that is until um, until Manchester United resolve their situation with Mourinho, and we I think we've talked before about the the tensions between him and the board over certain aspects that are relevant to the success of the team. Until those things are resolved, that will be a a potential um, issue and a, 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 a avenue that Paris Saint Germain will continue to explore. Guys, you talk about the big egos involved at PSG, and there's a man that's out of work at the moment that's um, famed for working with such characters and is a well-known figure at PSG. Do you think Carlo Ancelotti is someone that could also interest uh, the Paris club? <clears throat> I think, um, Johnny, that's a good point, Johnny, but I think um, Carlo Ancelotti sees his time at PSG as having come and gone. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, despite the... Uh, the uh, application of even more funding and the recruitment of more superstar players. Um, my feeling and having spoken to friends of Carlo very recently, um, his plan is certainly to return to football in the Premier League. Um, his preference is to do that uh, in next summer in pre-season <clears throat> when he believes he'll have a choice of jobs to go to, um, including the possibility of returning to Chelsea. Uh, which I think is is very much on the cards. And um, he also intends to spend some time in Vancouver in the new year with um, his wife, who is a, a native of, of Canada and Vancouver. Um, he's intending to spend two or three months between January and March. Uh, and therefore, I don't see him as being a top candidate, if you like, for the PSG job. Um, PSG is a club who... I think the general philosophy is we must move forward and not go back. And they're a young enough, new enough club on this um, elite club scene that they can believe in that and, and if you like, learn by their mistakes. Um, and therefore, I think they will go for a, a new coach as new to them, uh, but someone who is in that top five elite list. <clears throat> now, it's interesting that I think that Guardiola has not been included on the shortlist uh, at PSG. Uh, given his CV. Um, the reason for that, I believe, is that, that Guardiola um, has shown historically that he commits himself to a project, that word again, and he's only in the second year of his Manchester City project, and he has 18 months left on the contract. And indeed, winning the Champions League with Manchester City is, actually, is his ambition, as well as obviously winning the Premier League. So um, uh, if you look to who else might, might be on that list, I'd say uh, Luis Enrique, the former Barcelona coach, um, would certainly be considered, um, given what he did uh, in his relatively short spell at the Camp Nou. Um, but I think Pochettino, who we haven't discussed at length, would certainly be, I think, maybe their first choice. And that's because of what I just talked about, the youth um, aspect. I, he's in his early 40s. He um, has a passion for bringing through uh, or developing younger players. And if obviously you've got an 18-year-old Kylian Mbappe, um, at uh, PSG, who, who needs to be coached further, as well as other young players in that team indeed as well. Um, but again, 
uh, getting Pochettino out of Tottenham would be very difficult because, as we know, Daniel Levy tends to hold people to their contracts um, when he um, he wants to value them. And if you want to buy Pochettino out of Tottenham, it's going to be very costly. So um, that's, uh, that's another interesting factor, given what Duncan has um, described regarding the French tax laws, um, which would be a factor in any top coach going to France. Um, I mean, believe it or not, they actually have more higher tax in France than they have in the UK. So um, paying the net salary that um, most football people like would be problematic in terms of the amount of tax you pay on top of that. And given um, the recent tax, uh, let's say, um, uh, difficulties of certain top players and managers in Spain, it's not something you want to be getting yourself into. Uh, you mentioned Spurs, so that's a great segue into discussing last night's sensational performance and victory over Real Madrid. I suppose the big question is, can Spurs hold this team together with Daniel Levy's propensity towards keeping the wage bill down and actually having a wage cap at Spurs? Before getting Duncan into this, um, Johnny, I want to make one very short point, which I think illustrates very well um, the difficulties Tottenham will face in keeping that team together. In the second half, Marco Asensio came onto the field as a substitute. He earns £130,000 a week on his new contract signed in August of this year. That's £5,000 a week more than Harry Kane, top earner at Tottenham. He was on the bench. He's made less than 50 appearances for the Real Madrid first team. That shows you the difficulty Levy's going to have. Yeah, look, I, I think Tottenham, um, in many ways, this is a big opportunity <coughs> for, for them this season. And they need to take advantage while well, they have the squad in the state it's in and, and while they have the manager that they have. Because, you know, as we've just been discussing, Pochettino, with every, as he keeps promoting his team into these kind of results... And, and we should mention that he, he did this against Madrid off the back of what was a very disappointing performance at Old Trafford and, and um, another in a long list of away uh, failures against top six teams in the Premier League, which have probably been the difference between him becoming a Premier League winning coach and just missing on a couple of occasions. But when you beat Real Madrid in that fashion, you do enhance your status and there are going to be suitors for his services and those suitors for his services will know he's not paid as highly as other top coaches which makes him even more attractive to them so you know Tottenham are in a situation where this this could be the the, the peak for them for a while because you've got we discussed discussed Harry Kane previously um, and Ian pointed out that people close to Harry Kane say that he, he's he does have an affinity for the club and he does have um less of a, a desire to to make a huge amount of money from uh, contracts than some other players might have, and that, that could stand in, in Tottenham's favour. But they've already got a number of discontent individuals. So they've got Danny Rose, who's talked publicly about wanting to move uh, to the north of England to finish his career and wanting to cash in on his next contract. They've got Toby Alderweireld, who um, was extremely unhappy that... Uh, Tottenham wouldn't countenance any offers from a number of suitors for his services in the summer and have not um, open contract talks with him. And he's paid less than £50,000 a week, which is 
an absurdly so, uh, low sum for a guy who's arguably the best or certainly one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League at present, a position which is very hard to recruit in. Um, they've got uh, Eric Dyer, who um, was uh, attracted by Manchester United's interest in him this summer and um, attempted to make that move happen. And they've got Deli Ali um, again, who uh, is looking for an upgrade in his contract and um, shows every sign of encouraging uh, suitors from other clubs to um, pitch for him. Now, Levy will be able to hang on to some of these players for sure, but he won't be able to hang on to all of them. And as they continue uh, to do well, the differential in their wages to the differentials available at other clubs who are actually in, in lower, significantly lower positions to them in the league becomes more and more noticeable. And you know, the players age, the players have experience, the players have achievements on the pitch, and they, and the majority of them will expect to be rewarded for that. So yes, to, to answer your question, it is going to be a serious problem for Tottenham going forward to kind of square the circle of do they keep, how do they keep their budget in the, in the position it's in while they're building and moving into a new stadium and continue to have this kind of quality in the field. And I presume Levy's strategy is to carry on the process he's, he's, he's used for these last few years, which is to focus on younger players, to focus on signing um, talented uh, preferably English players um, at a stage where their scouts have identified them as guys who can turn into the Delhi Alley or the Harry Kane two or three years down the line, get the best of guest out of them for two or three years, possibly more in a few, cash in on one or two of them and then and keep the production line going. And if Tottenham can manage to do that, then you, you've got to applaud um, their the, the achievement of doing so, but that, that's a hard ask in the modern game to repeatedly um, get the right players, buy them ahead of others, and have them perform at the right time, um, and not not have the, the drawbacks of introducing players of that age into your team in a, in a highly competitive league. Historically, as well, we should um, sort of point out that the Tottenham model, um, in terms of recruitment and sales, has been. Uh, to take a player at a smaller fee um, and then sell on at a massive uh, upgrade in, in terms of price. Uh, but they tend, what they tend to do is, is they will sell their best player for, you know, what I'd say, maybe 10 times the price they paid. And we go back to Michael Carrick, who was sold to Manchester United. We go back to Dimitar Berbatov, similar to United. Luka Modric to Real Madrid, Gareth Bale to Real Madrid. Also sold on at a huge profit for Tottenham. But in doing so, they were able to reinvest money back into the club, back into their scouting, and then, of course, back into bringing through young players that we see now who are flourishing, like Harry Winks, Deli Alley, um, Kieran Trippier, uh, Ben Davis. Players who you would have said three years ago, not necessarily going to beat Real Madrid 3-1 on a Champions League night. The difficulty Tottenham have now, compared to the days that I've just um, talked about in terms of selling, is... They weren't on this massive stage. They weren't competing for the Premier League title every season. They weren't in the Champions League and doing well. So they're much more. Their players are much more. The club is much more. The manager is much more in the spotlight than they were in years gone by, to the point where 
more players, the manager, will be coveted by other teams. Now, one guy we've not even mentioned is Christian Eriksen, who, for me, is one of the best midfielders in the Premier League, probably top three. He's being tracked by both Barcelona and Real Madrid, viewed to transfer next summer. This guy earns about £50,000 a week. Now, that, to me, is nonsense compared to what other midfielders in the Premier League. Yaya Toure earns £225,000 per week to sit on the bench at Manchester City. Christian Eriksen has either scored or assisted so many of Tottenham's goals already this season that his value is much higher than his wage suggests. And he's a guy who, yes, he has an affinity to the coach and has effectively bought into the club philosophy, but again, underpaid. And this is what I mean about the days of the Carrick Berbertov, Modric Bale model being obsolete because what Levy will find is he won't have one player, his star player, wanting to leave because of financial uh, upgrades and a bigger stage, bigger club, etc. He may have several at one time. And this is a perfect storm gathering for Tottenham. Look, you can look from the positive side, which is Levy does have the option here of if you wanted to cash in on one of Kane or Deli Ali, you can look for Harry Kane. This, the transfer fee is definitely going to be well north of 100 million pounds. Um, for Deli Ali, yeah, he, he could probably get to 100 million for a, a transfer within the Premier League for him if he continues the form, particularly of last season. So he does have that option of. I sell one in the, the Gareth Bale mode and I use that money not so much for buying replacements but for upgrading the contracts of the, of the rest of the team. So that, that, that's the, 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 the plus side and the, and the room he has available to him. The negative side is that it's frustrated with the transfer and recruitment policy at, at Tottenham Hotspur. He knows there is only a, group, a, a certain pool of talent he can recruit from and he has to buy players who have the potential to develop into top Premier League players rather than a guy who's absolutely ready to come into the position and be a top performer immediately and and that's a frustration for him it's not it's not from what I understand the frustrations so great that it says to him I have to leave I have to be looking to leave the club now but you know, let's hypothesise that they don't win the, the Premier League again this season and it does look very hard for them to do so. And they get knocked out some some at some point in the knockout stages in the in the Champions League, which despite, you know, some of the discussions we were hearing last night of you know, people like Tim Sherwood talking about how um there were only three Real Madrid players who would get into the Tottenham Hotspur team um as it stood at present, which you know I, I think Duncan high- that's I think that's why Tim Sherwood is talking about Tottenham rather than managing Tottenham, or indeed any other club. <laughs> indeed, indeed, and and but it, you know that's an expression, of high, example of the hyperbole around them at the moment, and and the hyperbole off the back of one performance when, as I say, they they lost at the weekend in a, in a key domestic game. So if if you know if this continues and Pochettino decides, actually, I've taken this team as far as re- is reasonable with the budget that's provided for me and the conditions I'm working in. And I've established my reputation as someone who top clubs like Paris Saint-Germain put on their list to recruit. There will come a point where he says, right, it's time to move. I'm going to take a, an opportunity elsewhere. And, you know, perhaps what he, what his team did last night at Real Madrid will 
um, ushers through the end of Zinedine Zidane at, at um, Real Madrid, who for all he's just been um, anointed as you know FIFA World Coach of the Year, spent a good chunk of last season, people forget, as as basically on the chopping block or being um, mooted for a change by Florentino Perez at Madrid. Um, so he's, you know, his, his position, like every Real Madrid manager, is, is tenuous and, and when results go badly, um, will not last for very long. And Pochettino is being mooted as a potential replacement for Madrid. And it would be interesting to see if that job opened up and uh, proposition was made to Maurizio Pochettino, whether that would be the kind of thing you'd say, okay, I will jump, I will make the move, That that's that's the step up. Okay guys, from uh, one big result last night to another, it was a bit of a glory night for English football. Man City winning in Naples 4-2. Well, what they have, Johnny, is um, is a very good balance about them, which I think in the past Manchester, Manchester City teams have lacked. Um, they have benefited from a much uh, more reasoned transfer policy uh, last summer where they bought in key positions, uh, mostly at full-back players who um, who needed, uh, uh, well, basically positions that needed to be upgraded significantly from the, um, the players that they already had. That's brought a new balance to the team. Um, Guardiola has also um, deigned to uh, look at a new shape, new system, playing three at the back, um, and so they've looked like a team which um, has been put out uh, to perform in excellently in every position um, and to be the fluid and very dynamic uh, football team that we've seen in the first 10 games of the Premier League season and in the Champions League so far. Um, and there's talk about them going through the season uh, unbeaten, will they win the Champions League and the Premier League, etc., etc., all of which I think is premature, uh, because it, to do well to win two trophies in, in that season in one season itself is very very difficult. Um, but not just that, the um, what they've not encountered so far is uh, a run of injuries, bad luck, uh, you know that refereeing decision which doesn't go your way um, in a crucial moment. They've 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 rode, rode a wave of. Um, successful uh, exploits, both domestic and in European football. Um, and there are times, and most you know, professional footballers at elite level will tell you um, that you go out on the pitch and you feel and believe that nothing can go wrong. And that indeed seems to be the feeling in the Manchester City dressing room at this moment in time. Uh, the form of Sergio Aguero, I think, has both been uh, a huge benefit but not but also probably quite surprised about Guardiola who was uh make no mistake um looking for suitors to sell him to sell him to in the summer and then of course last night he, he breaks the the record for being Manchester City's all-time record goal scorer um and so that's been a, uh, something which uh, uh, even by Pep standards uh you know he probably thought wasn't going to happen uh indeed if it, it were up to him he wouldn't be at the club so uh the fact that that Aguero's response to that has been to come in and show the kind of form which um, made him, in the eyes of Manchester City fans, untouchable, uh, say, three, four years ago, um, is a big testimony to the player himself, but also to Guardiola for being pragmatic enough to accept that, you know, I may not like this guy's style of play, he's costly in terms of chances, conversion, etc., etc., he doesn't try it back, 
But you know, Aguero's made made uh, him look again and chooses him over um, Gabriel Jesus. So, uh, in terms of what they win this season, well, they're definitely favourites for the Premier League title. There's no doubt about that. There, five points currently ahead of Manchester United, double the two sides meet in a few weeks' time, um, and I think they're miles ahead of Tottenham, uh, Chelsea. Arsenal, Liverpool, the chasing pack, Watford, we should throw in there as well, of course. Um, and so, exciting to watch, uh, certainly flattening everyone in their path so far, but I do tend to be a bit more cautious when we there's talk of invincible or you know, double winning I Champions League and Premier League winners, because th- those things are incredibly difficult to achieve. Although, interestingly, and it should be pointed out, that they're both points, wins and goals better off than Arsenal's Invincibles were when they went through the season unbeaten. Um, so they're already ahead of Arsenal uh, by some margin, as, uh, uh, um, I recollect as well. So it will be very interesting to see, because remember Manchester City started last season in a similar vein and then it all wheels f- fell off uh, November, December, January. So now we're just hitting the start of November. Let's see how good they are. What do you think, Duncan? I think they're they're playing exceptionally good football at the moment. Um, they're fantastic to watch. Their games are are really enjoyable. I thought the the game against Napoli last night was the absolute standout selection in the Champions League. I think um, it was definitely the match to the the match to watch ahead of even the the Tottenham Real Madrid fixture. Um, it was a fascinating football game, with a real intensity and speed and directness of passing, um, high-quality first-time first passing, particularly from Napoli, actually, in the first half, um, was just, was just, it was just a really interesting match. It was unfortunate um, that Napoli lost their left-back, um, Goulam, um, midway through the first half and uh, lost a bit of their uh, rhythm um, and the, the quality to their game off the back of that. And that allowed Manchester City back in. But I don't want to sort of see that as like a caveat in Manchester City's play because I think what you were you were talking about, the wave of confidence they're playing on, was, was evident there in that in many ways they were outplayed for the first 30 minutes of the game. Um, Napoli very much controlled possession and territory and had a lot of balls in the Manchester City box and could have scored a couple of goals. But City came back um, convincingly with a belief, um, scored to get ahead in the game and could have scored more goals. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's a, 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 an important performance when you go to a place like that, which we should say no English club side has, has, never, has ever won before in European competition. Um, go behind um, when you've been playing well. Um, and get a bit of a slap to the face, and you come back and, and win the match. And, and um, you know, as as people were were noticing, they only needed a draw to to qualify last night, but they didn't go for a draw when the draw was available to them. They went for the win. So they're great at the moment. Um, they have the potential to carry on being that way, but you have to be aware with Guardiola's teams. Not just Manchester City last season had this kind of start, um, where people had the same kind of hyperbole about them in that, you know, this this is the best Premier League team ever. People were saying they're going to win the uh, the league, no question. 
um, and they, they fell far, far off it. But Guardiola has a history of um, working his players hard and having sprint starts to seasons where they um, quite often they win the title early on in the campaign um, and then they fall off in the performance towards the end of it. And it hasn't mattered at Bayern Munich because they, they were so far ahead of the competition or it didn't matter at Bayern Munich in terms of the Bundesliga, but it did matter in terms of what was the, the real goal for him there, which was to win the Champions League. So you've got to bear in mind that, that he's in a, a more physically demanding league, um, a league where the refereeing is tailored towards uh, contact, which advantages the, the lesser teams in which they'll use in games against the a side like Manchester City to their advantage. And there's no winter break, which he doesn't like. So let's see what happens to this team once they get into the more difficult period of the season. If they can establish you know, an eight lead before Christmas, then you'd have to say, yes, then it, it would be a, a major disaster if they didn't win the Premier League off the back of that. But they have to establish that lead. And, and they remember, they also started the season in quite a shaky fashion. They weren't particularly convincing at Brighton away. They, um, they were very fortunate to win Bournemouth away before they got on this, this run of, um, of confidence and um, success. So I think the, the jury has to, the sensible jury has to remain out. And certainly the, the idea which I was hearing last night that this is the best team in Europe and this is uh, potential Champions League winners or, or even likely Champions League winners. We've got to remember just how hard it is to win a Champions League for the first time um, for any that club. That wasn't Tim Sherwood any... by the chance, Duncan, was it? I think he was. I think he had Tottenham as the best team in Europe last night. All <laughs> oh, right, okay. And Man City is the best team in England. <laughs> <laughs> so look, um, that 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 hurdle, which is the same hurdle that PSG face, of turning potential into success in the key games when you get to a Champions League quarterfinal, when you get to a Champions League semi-final, when you're playing against the top players on the planet, a number of whom have won these these titles before and have the experience of getting through these games, do you then still have the belief that you're better than them? And you know, that's one of the reasons why Guardiola wanted to sign Dani Alves this summer, because Dani Alves has won more titles as an individual than any player um, in European football at present. And he wanted that leadership and experience in the dressing room, primarily for Champions League matches, Champions League knockout matches and key Premier League games. Um, and he wasn't able to, to place it there and, and so there was an awareness with that the squad some of those characters and that's something that his management will have to a hurdle his management will have to get them over um, when that, that uh, challenge comes to them down the line Just on Napoli guys uh, I, like Duncan I was extremely impressed with their performance and as you say in the th first 30 minutes they were scintillating You've got guys there like Insigne, Callihan, Mertens. Do you think they could be potential targets for Premier League clubs going forward? I, I don't doubt it, Johnny. I think that's a good point. Um, although Napoli is a very well-funded club uh, now, they're in a much uh, steadier stream of income than they have been, uh, where it's been a, a little bit kind of uh, inconsistent in the past, and that's why they've been able to um, 
sustain their position in the top four uh, clubs in Serie A over the over the last four years. Um, obviously, uh, they they yet to gain that that elusive title um, in terms of the Scudetto. But um, I think it'd be very difficult to to prize those players away. Uh, I would take Dries Mertens as an example, someone who I think has been there five years now, who, in my opinion, five years ago was a much better prospect, uh, although obviously older than Aidan Hazard uh, when he went to Chelsea. Um, And I think now he's matured into the kind of uh, dynamic playmaker uh, which I think every top team needs. And he chips in with uh, 10, 12 goals a season on his own as well. So he's a he, he's just turned 30, I believe, and uh, he's definitely in the peak form of his career. If someone could cherry-pick him uh, from Napoli, then they would have a very good player uh, there. And Insigne, uh, another one, but who I think, uh, I'm not mistaken, is, is a Napoli fan born and bred, and I think he'd be very difficult to get out of the club uh, for whatever money you wanted to pay. But I, I agree with you. Napoli have been um, you know, a, a building force uh, and have, in fact, progressed significantly since Rafa Benitez and his more um, cautious and uh, negative tactics uh, since he left there. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, it'll be, uh, I hope that they qualify uh, in the Champions League along with Manchester City so that we can see a bit more of them in the, um, in the knockout round because they're very entertaining. Uh, we saw that last night um, and they never give up. Uh, and they're the kind of team who you know, do excite people when, when you watch them. Absolutely. Yeah, look, I, I think definitely though they, a number of their squad will be targets for Premier League clubs. Any, any guy, any player who's performing at that level and is a, a club that's just a tier below the European superfars will be targeted. Um, you, you look at a centre-back, Kalidou Koulibaly, who was one of Antonio Conte's um, uh, targets, one of his preferences to sign a centre-back, but Chelsea weren't able to do it or didn't push hard enough to do that. Um, I think he is likely to move this summer. Um, and then the left-back, who they missed so badly um, when he went off last night, Fauzi Goulam, um, there's a real, real shortage of uh, quality left-backs in European football at the moment. This guy is uh, tall, athletic um, and skillful on the ball, so it's an obvious um, clubs that need left-backs. And, you know, you've got Manchester City, and Manchester United as two obvious teams in the Premier League who um, have to strengthen at left back, if not in the January window, certainly um, in the in the next summer window. Okay, so we've got a massive game on Sunday with Chelsea taking on Manchester United at Stamford Bridge. It's going to be the biggest game of the season potentially, but there's potentially some unusual activity in the build-up to the game, Ian. There is, Johnny. Um very unusual um and that is that uh there is a court date scheduled in uh madrid on friday um regarding the um jose Mourinho's taxes that he paid um while he was manager at the bernabeu now um unconfirmed but there is a possibility that Mourinho may well attend in person that court date in madrid on friday which would mean leaving uh, his squad, his players, his staff, um, two days before a, what is, you rightly say, a massive match in terms of the destination of the Premier League title. Um, very unusual, um, although not unprecedented. Um, and it's, it, I think it's only fair 
to uh, say that someone like Mourinho, who micromanages every single detail of the preparation for the team, for him, firstly, if he does indeed go to Madrid to take that decision, shows on his part how seriously he's taking uh, these allegations and that he wants to defend them robustly, which, again, is his right and fair enough. But secondly, and I think very, very sort of intriguingly, it also brings into play the importance of the staff that he then trusts to continue the preparation while he's absent, even if it's only for a few hours. As we know, you can fly to Madrid and back from Manchester in two and a half. So he won't, might not only be gone for six, seven hours, but those six and seven hours are part of the, the Mourinho preparation for a, a match uh, at Stamford Bridge like we have on Sunday. And I think in Rui Faria, um, he has someone who has been his trusted aide and confidant and uh, uh, coach for more than a decade now. Uh, I think, in, in fact, probably around 14, 15 years. Um, Duncan, I think, is, is more familiar with Rui than I am. Um, but he might be able to give an insight as to how important it is to have someone like Rui Faria as your assistant to m make things work just as perfectly as they should, should the head coach not be around. Yeah, you're almost there, Ian. They've been working together at football clubs since 2001. Um, so from oh, well, Union Laria, yeah. um, the Jose's first sort of a permanent appointment as a as a manager, um, and Rui Faria is an interesting character because he he hardly ever appears in the media. He doesn't doesn't talk, doesn't give interviews, but is a fundamental part of Mourinho's management um, training. Uh, strategizing handling of the players in fact it's probably the best way to to summarize it is to to quote Mourinho himself and Faria um he talks he's given talked to him about a few times and he said been asked who he thought the, the best Portuguese coach was apart from himself and he picked out a guy as he said who hasn't even managed the team yet and Rui Faria identified him ahead of all the other very strong Portuguese coaches that are in world football and then um, an interview in 2015, he was asked who, who he would uh, suggest to Chelsea, ironically, um, as his successor when he finished as a manager. And he said, um, the one that if he wants to become a manager tomorrow, he is more than ready to do it at the highest level is my assistant, Ray Faria. Um, and basically, if Mourinho misses a training session, and has to hand over to Faria, it, it will be of no detriment to Manchester United because he does that from time to time. He allows um, Faria to run the training sessions because he regards him so highly as a coach and, and a potential manager. Um, they, the, the methodology they use for training, which is still very different from that used by most clubs in that they do not do any work without the ball, all of their physical training is using the ball, um, playing competitive matches, training tactically and technically at the same time as they're getting the players fit, is a Faria methodology that he um, uh, worked on in his uh, sports science thesis at Porter University, um, which was actually his way of meeting Mourinho. He went to Barcelona as part of his thesis work to um, observe uh, Louis van Gaal and Mourinho coaching the team there, um, got to know Mourinho well, uh, was hired by him for Union Larea. They uh, implemented that 
work together to implement that the, the, the work from that thesis into the, the training methodology that the two of them have carried on using through Porto, Chelsea, Inter Madrid, Chelsea, Manchester United, and won now I think the count is 27 major trophies. And if you ask those two about it, they will tell you that they train the players, the way they prepare the players um, is key to that success because it allows them to do more strategic work with the players and keeps and avoids um, injuries in a way that other coaches don't ha aren't able to do and gives them an advantage um, through the course of a season. So I don't think it's a drawback to Manchester United. I think um, he's a guy to pay attention to because there probably will come a stage where um, he will do what Mourinho mentioned in that interview and, and become a manager of his own right. Um, I understand he's had a lot of major offers from across Europe to become a manager, but um, another element of the way he works is he's, he's probably one of the most loyal um, individuals in football and that he's, he's remained alongside Mourinho because he feels Mourinho gave him the opportunity to enter into the football world and, um, and that, that opportunity... <coughs> Have to be repaid. So, um, what what yeah, surprising the anecdote, uh, Duncan? Uh, sorry to, to to interrupt, but what surprising the anecdote, um, which um, <clears throat> suffers first of all, I, I believe, in the, the uh, autobiography of Frank Lampard, totally frank, in two thousand six, when uh, he um, Frank mentions the fact that he, that when Mourinho arrived, the the preseason, the first day, they had the ball at their feet, and. Um, uh, the players were very surprised by the fact that they weren't just doing running for like three hours, etc., etc., because that, that's what they've been used to in pre-season. And when asked, uh, Rui Faria, who was, I think, officially fitness coach when he first came to Chelsea, um, Rui said, if I have <clears throat> someone who is, uh, a, plays the piano and is uh, the master of that, would I ask him to run around the piano to, to, to warm up? No, so therefore that's why you have the ball, and I think that kind of sums up what you're saying about Rui in terms of the ball and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, that's a favourite phrase of of his and Mourinho's that um, if you're if you're if you're training a pianist, you don't get him to run around your piano. So ballers run around the pitch when they're supposed to be training with the ball, and it works. Um, but it is it is a really important and you know you can look at since they're they're playing Chelsea this weekend it's 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 interesting to contrast that approach with the way that Antonio Conte trains Chelsea which is a, a, a between tactical strategic work on the field and physical fitness training um, which is very traditional um, very Italian um, which obviously worked last season but which is now the subject of complaint from Chelsea players. They get bored about the repetitive uh, tactical work they do, and they feel that they're doing too much training. And it's a, it's a, the result of that is in the, the number of muscle injuries they've had to key players this season, which is which has damaged their season. And as goalkeeper Thibaut Courtois talking about this match this weekend as a must-win game for them in the defence of of their title as early as the start of November. And as much as we've praised um, the performances of Tottenham and uh, Manchester City in the Champions League this week, we should really uh, critique Chelsea's woeful, shambolic performance in the Stadio Olimpico against Roma, 
where they conceded three goals and looked just like a team who almost had never even met each other before at times in the way they defended. Now, taking that into this game against Manchester United on Sunday, um, I think we do again have to look at the position of Antonio Conte with regards to um, his future or not at Chelsea. He, um, uh, he got very angry and upset last Friday in the pre-match uh, press conference before the game at Bournemouth. Uh, in describing stories uh, about the possibility of Carlo Ancelotti replacing him and also that the players miss their former assistant coach Steve Hall now with England and Gareth Southgate. Um, in a word that we won't use on the uh, Transfer Window podcast because we may have young listeners. But suffice to say, it was not um, something which uh, uh, <clears throat> you would say was a, a, a um, praise of those particular um, stories. Personally, um, I think... Whenever a manager behaves in that way in a press conference, I've seen it many times over the course of my career and down the years, that um, that's a sign of a manager under pressure. It's a sign of someone who is not coping with the job that he has to do. Because managers, generally head coaches, when things go well and they are confident of both their own abilities and their relationship with their players and their teams, etc., etc., then they just ignore whatever surfaces in the media and they get on with doing what they have to do in order to win football matches. But when it gets when it gets under their skin, definite sign that they feel the pressure because they feel they have to address something, which in actual fact they can choose not to address. So uh, going into this Sunday's game against Manchester United, I think Conte is under real scrutiny, uh, both internally from the people who run Chelsea, externally from the media and indeed Chelsea fans. If they lose at Stamford Bridge to a Manchester United team who are realistically chasing the title when Chelsea are realistically going to be, hopeful, you know, for their sake, in the top four, then, again, the questioning of his position will become more intense. And we know that he's already said this uh, this year, in fact, in the last couple of months, he anticipates a return to Italy sooner rather than later. His contract expires in 19 months' time. Um, we also know that there's a a clause in it which allows him to leave without compensation and vice versa for Chelsea. So let's just see you know, what's going to happen with Conte with regards to the next few days if indeed Manchester United turn up at um, Stamford Bridge and Jose Mourinho turns over his old club uh, in order to obviously advance Manchester United's uh, Premier League title credentials. To be, to be fair to Antonio Conte, I think he's been um, very... Uh, careful in his phrasing of, uh, in press conferences when asked about uh, problems within the club. And, and having watched uh, back the video of that press conference, which was reported as him um, <laughs> swearing about re reports that, that Ancelotti was being lined up to replace him, what, what he actually objected to, the press officer uh, uh, um, had objected to those reports, but what Conte himself objected to was the, the story that um, Chelsea players have been um, texting. Steve Holland um, about the situation and, and wanting him to come back, um, and he, he Conte specifically said, "I, I, you can, you know, you can write that um, that the board is considering sacking me. I accept this, um, but when you in introduce another player into the, another individual into the situation, I can't accept that." So I, I don't think he was objecting to the Ancelotti reports. He was objecting to the, the Steve Holland reports, which which in, self, in itself is telling because Conte did not want to lose Steve Holland um, to the England job. Um, and it was a, 
a big concern for him over the summer. He appreciated the, the quality of um, Steve Holland's work. And since we've been talking about, you know, the importance of assistance at, uh, at Manchester United, Steve Holland is a guy who I've always heard very good things about from the people who've worked with him at Chelsea, um, regard him as a, as, a, as a high quality professional, serious professional, knows his job well. And Conte, who um, has reservations about interestingly about a number of his support staff most of whom he brought to the club himself and and their contribution um to uh, chelsea's cause did not want to lose holland because he felt that holland was the guy who not only knew the dressing room well but also knew the premier league well and it, and it helped him um with that, that knowledge of opposition teams and opposition players he needed in in the first season but as far as the the overall situation and um Chelsea's uh, performances on the field and where Antonio Conte is as manager, um, he does not expect to be manager beyond the end of this season. Um, and I agree with your reading that uh, that should he lose badly uh, to Mourinho, who is not a popular figure at all at Stamford Bridge anymore on uh, Sunday, that could... Um, uh, intensify the difficulties he has with the, the people who um, pay his contract at Chelsea Football Club. Okay, guys, um, we're going to move on to the quickfire round now. Um, we're going to look back over some of the biggest deals of the summer. We're going to ask if they've been a hit, a miss, or if the jury is still out. I'm going to start with Ian Lukaku. A hit. Duncan, Bernardo Silva. A hit. Um, did well last night and he's, he's slowly uh, working his way into the Premier League and showing his quality. Tamui Bakioko. Cheery out. Neymar. Hit. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Uh, can you can we say barn door? Miss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mohamed Salah. I think he's been a hit for Liverpool. Um, not the top, top player, but he's, he, he's contributed a lot for the price they paid for him. Alexander Lacazette. I think he's been a hit, yeah. In, 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 in a national team which don't always function well, I think he's, he's been a hit. Davison Sanchez. I think the jury's still out on Sanchez. Um, I think he's got a lot to learn at Premier League level, but he definitely has the physical attributes to become a, a top Premier League defender. Nemanja Matic. Definitely a hit. Kyle Walker. Hit. Um, done better than I expected and fitted into that Manchester City uh, fashion of playing much quicker than I expected. Victor Lindelof. Got to say, miss. He's he's young. He's he's been injured. Got a jury out, but miss at the moment. I think Johnny. And the big one for you, Duncan. Perhaps the move of the summer. Fraser Fivey. <laughs> Who's Fraser Fivey? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you were a Dundee United fan. Exactly. Who's Fraser <laughs> Fivey? Signing ex Aberdeen players. That's how that's how far we've declined in the world. Brilliant guys. <laughs> Okay, guys, that's all from us at the Transfer Window Podcast. We'll be back next week with your usual deep dive into the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in the game. If you like the show, please subscribe and get it as soon as it becomes available from wherever you get your pods. To join the debate, you can follow the guys on Twitter. Duncan is at Duncan Castles. And Ian, I've got this right this time, at GarboSJ. We preferred your Hungarian pronunciation, Johnny. <laughs> Garbos. 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 <laughs> Thanks for listening. Oh,